You are listening to Sales Secrets with Gabe Larson. In this episode, Jeff Knowlton from SoftChoice sits down with Gabe Larson to talk about how to effectively scale an inside sales team. I welcome everybody to the Sales Secrets podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about factors in scaling a new inside sales team. And to do that, we brought on Jeff Knowlton, who's currently the Vice President of Sales at SoftChoice. Jeff, thanks so much for joining. How are you? Pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, this will be fun. Um, it's a super important topic, and not everybody's done um, the whole scaling thing. It'll be fun to dive in. But before we do, maybe you could tell us just a little bit about yourself and what you do over there at SoftChoice. Yeah, sure. So I am the Vice President of Inside Sales. I have about 400 sellers that are across North America in five key locations, Toronto, Seattle, Atlanta, Chicago, and Montreal. Uh, and we sell uh, into customers all across North America. I love it. Interesting. Um, and tell us, is SoftChoice a little more about SoftChoice? Yeah, so at SoftChoice, we provide technology solutions that enable organizations to better serve their customers and make people more productive, right? So what that really means is we really help our customers choose, implement, and manage technology um, that they need to do it. And we've found, um, it's kind of interesting, no matter what size your organization is, um, there's two main challenges that customers face. One is it, technology is changing so quickly. And the second is there's so many options on the market uh, that you don't really know where to start. So we take a real kind of outcome-based uh, view with our customers and really try to understand what are they trying to do uh, before we start working with them around assessments of where they are. And I often use this analogy with my friends who are not in the industry and I always look at it as, you know, you've probably gone to these times, Gabe, where you've gone into a grocery store at the beginning of the week. You've got no idea what you want to cook for the week ahead. You walk around, you're buying things, you're definitely spending more time and money than you expected, and you still leave without what you actually need. We try and avoid that from a technology perspective. Uh, so we really get clear on what is that meal the customer wants to have? What is the outcome? And then we help them get there. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate kind of the quick overview. Um, and you've been there how long? How long, Jeff? I've been here about three years. Interesting. Um, and um, if, uh, one more quick one. Outside of work, anything kind of you're passionate about, fun stories, hobbies uh, that might be interesting for the audience to know? Yeah, I don't know about the fun story or hobby, but there's something <laughs> different, I suppose, is uh, um, when I was done university, I ended up traveling around the world. It was supposed to be a six-month gig with the backpack on. but it ended Is that up, right? Yeah, it ended up being 32 months. Right? So, oh, really? It's awesome, man. I, I went all around Asia, and then actually I ended up running out of money completely, so I had to go to Australia to make some money uh, for a year, but I still call that traveling. Because um, I was obviously completely outside of Canada, where I'm from, and uh, it was amazing. It gave me a complete uh, appreciation for different ways to live your life, and it helped me professionally as well. Right, really oh, getting an understanding goodness. of different cultures. So I don't well, know how fun that is, but it's certainly different. <laughs> that is different. What uh, What was the high? If there's one thing you could kind of point out, was there uh, out of the three years, was there one place or one thing that kind of was the the highlight of it? I guess I think it would be. Uh, Tibet and Nepal would be my top com uh, countries. I'm, I love the mountains. So yeah. those ones, you know, massive, beautiful culture and just the most stunning scenery you've ever seen. I just adored those places. I oh, love my heavens. I love it. Oh, that's, good so fun. Fun. that's so fun. Uh, we'll have to talk more about that later. Uh, I'm totally jealous. I've, 
I lived overseas for maybe six years, um, four years in the Middle East and two years in Europe. But um, I didn't get around as much, you know, when you're working, um, you, you don't, ah, now hindsight, I'm like, I should have done more traveling. I'm an idiot, but whatever. Yeah, it gives you, even, even doing that though, right? It gives you a different appreciation for culture outside of North America. Oh, oh it totally does. And, you know, being from a smaller town in the West Coast, uh, um, just kind of, opening my eyes and see that the world is bigger than one state. It was, it was certainly helpful. So I can definitely appreciate that comment. Um, well, let's dive into the topic at hand. So um, big picture, you, you maybe just kind of explain that we want to talk about scaling. Why is this kind of top of mind? Why is this an important topic for you thinking about what you've done at soft choice, et cetera, maybe lay that foundation a little bit. Yeah, sure. No worries. I, I mean, I think it's a pretty hot topic across most sales forces right now. Um, and I would tell you, like, some things never change, right? Yeah. You know, sales forces everywhere, they want to deliver outcomes for their customers and maximize their salespeople's productivity. Like, that's as old as time. But some things do change. And uh, I certainly have found that technology is really changing everything, right? Like, how technology is changing our day-to-day lives, it's also changing how customers buy, right? Customers are much more comfortable buying in a non-face-to-face environment right. um, than they ever have been for before. And that's because there's so many collaboration tools out there um, that allow that to happen. And, you know, the last couple of years, I've been doing this inside sales piece. And, you know, historically speaking, when you look at inside sales, you think, okay, they're going to give you a lot of breadth, right? You can do a lot of scale. Right. Now, I think with technology coming into play as much as it does and really breaking down those barriers, it also gives you that depth. You can get quite deep with customers. And so it starts to, it starts to have a lot of factors that lead to a lot of organizations that we work with, as well as our own organization, start investing pretty heavily into an inside sales force. Okay. Know, don't get me wrong, there'll always be field people around, right? But I definitely find that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of companies that are investing uh, because of that, what technology is enabling the salesperson to do. I love it. Interesting. And then where have you been able, you kind of mentioned this, but maybe you could just repeat it. Um, what the scaling you've done at Soft Choice? how's that kind of looked at a high level? You mentioned you went from what to what? Maybe 100 to 200? Yeah, so when I first came on, it came on about three years ago um, from um, from another big technology firm and came into SoftChoice. And the whole mandate uh, on the first division I was asked to take over was to come in and, and help grow the organization. Yeah. So when we came in that first year, it was 140 people across North America. And by the end of that first year, we were 215 people across North America. Wow. So, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a roller coaster ride. I definitely have less hair because of it, but, uh, <laughs> but I learned a ton. And, you know, we continue to scale. Uh, you know, we've increased uh, that headcount and our penetration, and we will continue to do so over the next couple of years. So I thought it might be cool to just talk about, uh, you know, some of the lessons I learned in that. Yeah, let's, yeah let's get into that. So, I mean, a lot of people, well, they want to do that. Not, not everyone has that choice to, to scale. But for the people that are adding headcount and trying to do that, that's a, like a doubling of the, of the sales team. Where do you start on something like that? How, how do you kind of start that, that transition, that journey of, oh, my goodness, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, there's so much that goes into it and I tried to boil it down into a couple key points, but to answer your question, like, where do you start? Uh, one of the biggest learnings, and it's a pretty obvious one, but one that I find people miss is 
you got to look at the sales force like it's an army, right? Yeah. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, when we look at the news and you, you hear about countries uh, that are putting troops on the ground, that's what you hear about, right? You hear about the troops. And I equate that to kind of the quota bearing salesperson. Look right. what I just even said to you, right? We went from 140 to 215. Right. I talked mostly about the troops. And I think my major learning, especially from that first year, was it's exactly like an army. And with that, with those troops, you got to have the tents, you got to have the ammunition, you got to have the, the catering, you got to have the food, <laughs> the tank. And uh, all of that goes to make an efficient troop. And you put it in from uh, in the context of, uh, of scaling sales. Like it's all about those non quota bearing people that are just essential. To um, to making those quota bearing sales reps really efficient. So think wow. sales ops, think sales uh, support, think HR, finance, credit. All of that needs to scale at the same level as you're implementing your troops okay. and really having that holistic view of the ROI, like how much you're spending versus how much you're going to get back. I mean, uh, that's a pretty it's a pretty obvious one, but it's amazing how often people miss it. So that's kind of. Point number one. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. Real quick follow up on that. So, generally speaking, you know, you're looking at some of the supporting casts around the troops. I like kind of the analogy, the catering, etc. What's what's the one click down on that? Do you typically start with maybe marketing? Did you feel like you got to get the enablement? And if so, how 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 did you kind of get those people armed and ready to go? Yeah, I mean, I think the one click down, the obvious one is the management, right? <laughs> I mean, you could even you could even miss that one. If you're deploying uh, 70 reps, you've got to have management to be able to go and do that, right? So that's the obvious one. But I would agree with you that I think that um, marketing, uh, making sure you have the, the right amount of uh, leads and the right amount of base for those people that work, accounts for those people that actually work, yeah. is an absolute uh, precursor to anything, right? Before you make the investment decision of being able to expand, you got to make sure that you have the opportunity and the existing customer base to make ROI, uh, make return on investment make sense. Interesting. Um, so I love the management thing, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the marketing thing, well, maybe one more follow-up and then we can jump into point two there. Um I've seen a lot of companies, especially in the tech space, you know, they get ahead of themselves and they scale before they're like, hey, we're, it's working for 10 reps or it's working for 20. Let's double it. You know, and they go ahead and add the sales headcount. And it's like, um, <laughs> yeah, you didn't. You were li- living 80 percent off your inbound traffic and you just doubled that. So, you, you, you know, you didn't have an outbound prospecting mode. So it kind of falls apart. Right. Um, is there a way you've partnered with marketing to kind of think through that scale or do you just kind of whip them and say, Hey, get your acting gear. We're going, we're going big time now. Yeah. We find the whip doesn't work overly well. <laughs> you you got to have I was both. hoping that there was a special kind of whip that you used. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you find that whip, you let me know. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, we certainly partner with marketing on a couple of different ways, right? I mean, there's classic, like what's the content you want your sales force to be able to speak to. Yeah. And that's incredibly important to be uh, lock and lock and lock and barrel, I suppose, with marketing in terms of what is the compelling industry trends that customers are talking about, making sure that there's a really clear Chris talk track that is backed up by what your communication is on your own website, as well as what is your external facing communication. So that's kind of point number one. Okay. And then the second point, of course, is, you know, how can marketing help create you leads? How can they help you be able to generate some leads 
um, that are qualified and then hand it over to sales reps so that you're maximizing the sales reps productivity. Um, so we have a combination of both of those things. And, you know, marketing is such a, a key component for what we do day to day. And it really, uh, it really is essential to, to making sure that when you're, again, when you're looking at the scaling, making sure you have got both the, the talk track of content, as well as, of course, the leads that uh, enough of those people can be working to make them efficient. How do you balance it? Sorry, this is just kind of near and dear to my heart. So I have to... <laughs> but I promise we'll get to the next point. Um, How do you balance that marketing and sales pipeline? You know, it's like, okay, we're doubling. Um, um, You know, do you say, look, marketing, I'm expecting that you pick up 50% of of maybe the pipeline. I'll take the other 50 and put in some real stringent efforts on my team to kind of go outbound. Or how did you think through, because that just always seems a debate, like marketing's never doing enough of the pipe, sales isn't doing enough of the pipeline, and so we're not getting our number because there's just not enough pipeline. Yeah. Do you have conversations about that or think through that? Yeah, there's always a debate and always good, healthy healthy uh, competition and healthy tension, and I love that, right, between the sales and marketing. It really helps us become a better overall product, um, but I would tell you that you know we work hand-in-hand, hand and we're um, we are pretty in step with our marketing folks. And mm-hmm. to answer your question, you know, before we would go about doing any quarter, we'd be looking at, you know, what are the campaigns that we have um, that we are predicting coming into market? Then we'd be saying, okay, of those campaigns, a certain amount of conversion and a certain amount of pipeline is going to be converted. Uh, okay, great. That's point number one. Now there's usually a gap between what marketing can deliver and what yeah. we actually need to achieve to be right. able to make this ROI. Right. And that's where you either get more creative or you say, hey, it's business as usual. This is the amount of sales folks that we need, right? And it's usually somewhere in between, right? You usually have to get a little bit better as well as uh, do the business as usual productivity. So that's how we look at it at the mm-hmm. moment. It seems to work. No, I love it. I-, I love it. I mean, that partnership's always so important, but boy, there doesn't seem to be a secret recipe to make that happen between sales no, and it's, it's so that, really been, I think the best ones, sorry to cut across you there, Gabe, but I think the best ones and what we're lucky with is it's a real conversation, right? Marketing talks to us around what we want to do within the sales community. Yep. And we will then feed back to them around, hey, this is where this really resonated. This didn't really resonate. Uh, and it gets tweaked and we iterate on it and we iterate on it. And, you know, it ends up being a better result overall. I love that. I love that. That's so powerful. All right. Well, let's get to the infamous um, number two. All right. Number two. So number one, it's like an army. We got that one done. Uh, the second one is data is your friend. Right? <laughs> and uh, um, I will tell you that when I first came into the workforce, uh, I did not know I would be a mini mathematician um, as we start going into general management. And I will tell you, I still am not. Um, but what I think is really important is having a really strong guiding hand with database decisions. And we're yeah. so lucky to have an excellent sales operations teams that really Got help it. us. Yeah. And I'll give you a couple examples, right? I mean, for me, really setting expectations on how quickly the return will come from the workforce you've asked for, right? Mm-hmm. Really understanding, you know, making sure finance is happy with the return on investment and the time frame that it actually is going to take. That's one. The second piece would be around really setting quotas differently based on the tenure of our rep. I don't know about other industries, but I can certainly tell you in the industry I work on, there is a linear correlation between how much tenure you have and the productivity that you're going to return. And really making sure you have the science to make sure that 
of any cohort, any tenure cohort, I kind of look to have about 60% of my workforce hitting the plan, right? So you're setting your target so that 60% hit. Anything less than that, you're going to start getting attrition. Anything more than that, you can probably start pushing the team a little bit more, right? And and achieve more for you. So again, that all comes back to data, right? It's really understanding how do you set up that rep for success Statistically speaking, anybody in this any individual cohort should be able to achieve X. Uh, And then you can have all of your sales management process around that. But to be able to do that, I suppose, you got to have the data, right? You got to make sure that you've got the data and use that data to be able to provide you some insights um, on how you're doing and, and a real guiding hand. So I so, found that that's really helpful. Got it. But you, you sounded like you started then, though, f- fairly you know, let's sit down, make sure that we know exactly the target we're trying to hit, make sure we plan something reasonable, you know, 60% attainment for those sales reps. Let's get that in place. And then it's, you know, let's use data to drive, drive the vision in order to hit that strategy. Did I catch that right? Yeah. Like you got a couple of core principles, right? And, and I think you kind of articulated it there, Gabe, which is, you know, really understanding what is achievable um, yeah. for any individual rep and understanding that um, you really want to set your target to a place where you believe history has told you um, 60% of folks are going to get over the line and hit their quota. Um, And then being able to work backwards from there, you have a starting block. You start saying, okay, yeah, that makes logical sense. What if we improve by 5%, right? Hmm. What would that look like, right? And then you're able to start sizing out a number and then you backwards engineer out of there how many reps you get. So, and then do you, do you feel like there were certain pieces of data? I mean, we, you know, being a leader myself, I'm like, right, you know, data is obviously important to manage my business. But there, you know, once you go a couple layers down, one, just to be able to track it, you said you're blessed with a good sales ops. Like being able to really envision or visualize your sales funnel, ugh, that's, that's hard, number one. Then number two is well, what the heck should I be looking at? Any advice on those two points of people who are like, Gabe, I know, Jeff, I know that data is important, but I, I don't know how to visualize my funnel. And even if I did, I don't even know what points I'd want to visualize. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, uh, for <laughs> sure, I guess, because uh, I've been there. So I get that. I get that headache. But um, I suppose what I would say is um, it's your classic S&P sales management process. Like what yeah. metrics do you want to lead the organization with? And I break it down very, uh, very simply, right? Um, very simple in terms of leading indicators and lagging indicators. Yeah. And the leading indicators to me are activity, the right activity is going to lead to certain amount of pipeline. You can measure both those. And then you say that pipeline is going to close at a certain rate uh, and at a certain value. You can measure both of those, that's for sure. Um, and then the last thing, I suppose, uh, that's your classic business metrics. I think the other thing that is absolutely core and it you know, gets to one of the other principles is um, your customer experience score, right? Mm-hmm. Really, truly get double and triple clicking on your, your customer experience score. And you know, we've got a very tangible, very transparent. We use net promoter score. There's, I know there's a bunch of different metrics out there, but we use the net promoter score, which really helps us articulate how our team are focusing on their customers as well as got their business. It. Yeah. Does that answer your question? No, no, absolutely. Um, That's an interesting one. I mean, I don't know if people focus as much on the customer as they should, um, but boy, if you can understand really, 
seems like the further companies get away from the customer, you know, the less successful they are. And that, that's kind of an obvious statement, but boy, do we have a hard time. <laughs> boy, do we have a hard time following through on it, right? But it's amazing because really it should be at the center of everything, right? And uh, I've long taken the philosophy and why I like this company so much is it's really deep rooted in the values is it's a pretty simple one is um, ultimately you take care of your people, you take care of your customers and you work hard and the results are going to come, right? And if you keep it that simple and then you ladder your metrics around that and your S&P, you know, the magic can happen. Yeah. Sounds simple. It obviously isn't day to day, but uh, yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's it's always it's not. We get so busy with other things that again, the customer somehow gets lost in all the meetings and muddle that we have to deal with on a day to day basis. Um, all right, well, let's go to point three. Um, we got number one. Um, we got number two. Um, number one is more on the making sure that we really think about the, the strategy and structure. Two, we get into the data. Um, what's number three? So the third one, um, I was trying to figure out how to encapsulate it, and I'm gonna, I'm shamelessly stealing here. Peter Drucker, a famous <laughs> consultant. Sure. I love his not a bad story. guy to steal from. Not a bad He's guy to steal good, from. He's a good man to steal from, and you know, <laughs> I, I studied him from a long time. And uh, his his quote, "Culture eats strategy for breakfast," is gold, right? Yeah. Absolute gold. And uh, you know, it kind of gets back to what we were just talking about. Um, one of the things that I love about this company is it simplifies its culture um, with some core values uh, that we, that I was really attracted to joining. And the core values are we grow our people first. We have customer passion. We take care of each other and we own the end result. And really, I think that's a fancy way of saying what we just said, right? Take care of your people, take care of your customers, work hard and the results will come. Wow. So, you know, obviously with that, there's double and triple clicking on each of those um, that I can happily expand on. But uh, but I think the core 30,000 foot level is, you know, culture, culture underpins the strategy. If you don't have the right culture to make that strategy a real life, it's only worth uh, the paper that it's written on. Interesting. Do you feel like, I mean, again, that's one that... Um you know, people talk as cheap, right? It's like everyone can, Enron, right? Had their core values, <laughs> ongoing joke. Of, well, yeah, they had them, but how do you live them? How do you, how have you guys felt like you've actually taken some of those and been able to translate it into real measurable results or real change in the culture or something that just is more real? Yeah, no, I hear you. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Start off with the um, the people one, right? Every company is going to say, we grow our people first. What I would tell you, and again, tangible, um, tangible experience um, from SoftChoice is it continually involves. Uh, when we first, when I first came on board three three years ago, uh, you go back to then. Everybody in my division had you know the same level. They were all classified mm-hmm. as a sales rep. Now I look forward. I look to where we are right now, and we have five different levels of seniority within the sales rep ranks uh, within wow. my organization. Now that helps wow. because a lot of my organizations millennials, and they yep. certainly love to see that progression. But you know, if you are a sales rep and you have an ambition to become a team leader, uh, there's a role for you within my organization to help that. If you want to become a field rep, there's certainly roles there. If you want to become an enterprise rep, there's there's a path for you. So I guess the point. I would say is we've really changed the look and feel of our sales force to provide that career path options um, for the teams. And then, 
you know, once you had that career path, then you got to back it up with a little bit even more uh, meat on the bone where you have regular scheduled IDPs. We call them IDPs, individual development plans. And basically what you're doing is you're saying, hey, you're matching the individual's ambitions with the company's objectives. There's a career path to make that happen. And, you know, that's where the magic happens, right? That's where you say you've got yourself... uh, some pretty engaged employees that know exactly what they need to do. And there's a very clear path for them to meet their career goals. Um, that to me is the fundamental. I mentioned before at the beginning of our talk that um, you know tenure and productivity have a one-to-one correlation for me. So having that, you know, really clear career path, really structured way of going about IDPs and then backing it up with, you know, the training and enabling people to get there. I mean, I that to that. Me is, that's got some teeth to it, right? Um, and that's something that uh, we've been continue to hone, uh, but have had some success with so far. I love it. I love it, man. You're absolutely right. It's sometimes you got to talk the talk because, uh, or you got, you can't just talk the talk. You got to kind of walk the walk, right? Once you do that, things can really change. So, um, all right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Great talk track on scaling organizations. I love that you've actually been able to do it. A lot of people want to do it. You're in a different place where you've done it. Uh, appreciate sharing some of the insights into that journey. It, it, we talked about a lot of stuff. If you had to kind of summarize, um, thinking about organizations who want to scale, what's kind of the thing you'd end with? You know, I'm going to repeat what I said before, right? I would kind of go back to those three key points. Right? Love it. Uh, it's like an army, right? So remember that. Uh, get crisp and clean on what data you want to use. Data is your friend. And look at the, at the leading and the lagging indicators. Uh, and then finally, you know, again, the shameless, the shameless steal from Peter Drucker, culture eat strategy for breakfast. And don't just make it that words on a PowerPoint slide, like challenge yourself and your management team. Um, to make sure there's real, actionable, tangible meat to that bone. So that's what I would say is the three. I love it. Perfect. Um, Jeff, really appreciate the talk track. Um, interesting points. If someone wants to get in touch with you or learn a little bit more about what you guys do over there, what's the best way to do that? Well, feel free to email me if you want. Um, it is Jeff, J-E-F-F dot Knowlton, K-N-O-W-L-T-O-N, at softchoice.com. Or by all means, go check us out online, which is www.softchoice.com. Okay. Hey, we'll really appreciate your time. And for the audience, remember, success is just one play away. To learn more about how to effectively scale your inside sales team, please visit resources.insidesales.com to check out the webinar, How to Build a Digital Sales Team. And thanks for listening to Sales Secrets with Gabe Larson.